0: it's the ansons podcast and we're in the first week of december and wrapping up our storms and shelter series with episode four this was recorded a while back but we felt like it was a good wrap to the series because it really takes us into what it means to live well in the storms of life in the unknown so now here's sam and blaine (laughs) I saw the
1: whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity.
0: What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning. And more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently.
1: It's been a while since we've opened with a musical riff. What do you got today, Blaine? I actually was just thinking of our intro and how, when I sang it the last time, I didn't get all the way through to like the the good part. So maybe I can just start it. <coughs> That's what it sounds like. That's it. Well, now we've this got a filter for people listening on. today. That'll weed out the people that aren't super interested. I like to think they're already weeded out. So if you're a listener, you're in. Good for you. And as a reward, we're going to talk about some deeper stuff today. As is often the case, this podcast comes out of a conversation that I had recently with a young guy that was just on some relational skill and... You're awesome. If you know who you are, it's a compliment. This is coming up in the podcast. What this podcast is about is relationship. It's easy for me to frame this as what do I wish I could tell all the people that are irritating me, but that's not really the case.
0: So many things.
1: As students of relationship, every time I learn a new thing, my actual response is, I so wish I knew that five years ago. That really would have helped me not blow that. But unfortunately, we do learn with live ammunition. And we do learn, I learn, actually, by sort of stepping on most of the landmines.
0: It's like the Minesweeper game, but you got to click all the mines. That way you know where all the safe places are.
1: Right. So basically how you're not supposed to play Minesweeper.
0: Yeah. Um, But instead of a game online, it's people's hearts
1: and relationships. Exactly. And just kind of coming away going, man, I wonder if that could have been learned beforehand. So in case it can... We've got a short list of skills, a short list of key relational topics that we think are going to be really helpful. Number one, we're just jumping right in, is actually about what you encounter when you encounter a person. And it is very helpful to know that you and everyone that you know is not like a blank slate. That was your language, Sam.
0: Right. Yeah. I I think that sometimes... I come to the table, whether it's a guy's night or just having some friends over or even sometimes just having a conversation with a buddy around the office. And I assume that they are just sort of this template that I can kind of interact with, like it's the Alex person. And I'm not thinking about what's happened for them today. I'm not thinking about their history with other people. I'm not thinking about their wounding. I'm just interacting with them as though they are a blank slate, and I have all of my complications in history. Fortunately, I don't do this all
1: the time, but if I'm honest, I do it quite a lot. Yeah, I kind of think that I treat a lot of people initially the way that I treat like a cell phone, where there's just sort of one way that cell phones work, and there's a little variety of brand But at the end of the day, the differences are inconsequential. You can relate with a cell phone in one kind of way and it will get one kind of outcome. And that's just totally unhelpful because when you see a person, they are in the middle of a drama. They are in the middle of a story that you just happen to be intersecting and it has its own momentum. It has its own opposition. There is a whole world going on that is sort of relativizing the quality of your interaction.
0: Yeah. So a story for me here, um, we like as a society to do all these sorts of tests. And we've talked a little bit about that before. You know, Are you an introvert, an extrovert? Is your uh, salmon, your spirit animal? Is your color mauve? All these sorts of annoying things. But on the introvert, extrovert one, that's one that we kind of really use as a society. And I find myself to be more on the introverted side. And I thought that was kind of it. I thought like, I am someone who just likes alone time until I had a time with a counselor and we unpack some of my past where I have these very vivid memories. Like they just, I can feel them in my body of high school and the transition from being homeschooled to being in public school. It was a fairly rough transition I just remember walking the halls to kill time. I remember the cafeteria was not a safe place. I remember this like social anxiety that I would feel. And the counselor was able to put words to when I'm in a group now for some part of my heart, it's like I'm back in those hallways and to give me, both the grace and the perspective that that's going on. Not that I'm just an introvert and people are hard, but it's like, no, Sam, you're not a blank slate. You're not just relating to these other human beings like you bringing nothing to the table. Actually, you are needing to wrestle through all of those issues again from 15 years ago right now. And the other people in the room, they're not going to know that. They're not going to know that I am weighing through the, like, self-defensive hatred I felt for other human beings, something I had to do every time I interact with other people. Like that's just, that's not a category. If it's not a category, it's not going to be very kind to yourself or to others.
1: Right. It's huge. So this is bigger than don't bring assumptions to the table. This is keep in mind that every person, because they are a story that is in motion, has a gravitational pull to treat them in a particular way. Is this point number two? This is no. This is this the is still number one. Oh wow! Person is not a blank slate. Yeah. Not only are they not a blank slate, but they have a pull to treat them in a particular way. That is a combination of their brokenness, uh, their some of their false self in response, and it is the enemy's warfare directed against the glory of a person's life. And so, you can actually know. It's really fascinating. This goes a couple ways. Keeping it simple, there's there's sort of two applications here. One is when you meet a person, you'll notice that there is a pull to be very serious or be very playful. Or they're putting off something that is setting the tone for how they're going to be related with. And you can just check in. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit as your guide to go, is this how I'm supposed to treat them? Because very often it can be very helpful not aggressively but to kindly do almost anything else it is it's super helpful to do a pause in this moment because
0: really is distinct per person if you become aware of it like if you wait and go w- what am i pulled to respond to this person what am i what am i feeling like i'm i'm supposed to do and if you don't think about it you'll just kind of operate and if you do think about it, you'll actually get some really fascinating data. And do, do you remember during the filming of Killing Lions where we were riding bikes in the desert and it was this high pressure? There was a guy on the trip and we encountered his warfare, the warfare set against him, super palpably. Do you remember this?
1: Right. And it was, a, it was a pull to basically be angry with this person and to react to them as they were sort of goofing off. And with hostility, which isn't our normal reaction to human beings. Oh,
0: it was like very violent language was coming out of our mouths in jest, but also not. And we found ourselves being like, "Whoa, this is enough off of our normal baseline that I think we're onto something here and we're, we're bumping up against the enemy's narrative of their life, which was really interesting data.
1: There are people in your world that you wouldn't think twice about asking them for a favor on your way home would you be able to swing by the store and grab this for me and sort of go maybe that's because you have an established relationship but we can also identify why are there people where you feel like it's okay to ask them for things why are there people that you would never do that and allow this data to inform how you end up treating a person on purpose
0: right but so once you have this data point I think then comes this shift of how are you going to respond? Because I can think of people who I always overlook, like always, there can be three people in the room. And for some reason, two of us will end up talking and ignoring this third person. And when I'm aware of it, I go, oh, this is like the warfare set against you. This is your wounding. This is like the way you expect to be related to. And so you're kind of, you're living in it, this person. And when I'm aware of it, I kind of go, oh man, like, you need to be seen, you need to be called out, and then how do you respond once you have this data?
1: Yeah, huge. As we were talking, what we came to was this vital skill of asking God how he wants you to treat the person. Because, listen, you have a good heart, and actually that good heart can get you into trouble once you have this skill and go, there's a gravitational pull around a person to treat them a particular way. It's very often directed against their calling. And they'll have this this pattern of the person who is meant to be a leader will be experienced as hostile and have this repeating pattern of people dismissing, antagonizing to sort of aggravating. And you can see that. And the temptation can be, oh, I simply, I just won't do that. You know, there's a, a woman and I see that for her it's just betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. I'm just going to hang in there and go. Hang on. Stop right there, because it's easy to shift into the posture of, "Let me, let me be the one to intervene and go." Of course, you can partner intervention, but the one who is going to intervene and rescue a person is Jesus, guys. The person who has stepped in, fulfilled the opposite thing, been incredibly kind to the person who is mistreated, been incredibly fatherly to the person who is isolated that person exists already and is Jesus rescuing a person? So asking, what should I do? It's not enough just to do the opposite. It's not enough just to listen to the person that gets dismissed.
0: Yeah, it's so good because you don't know where they are in their story of how aware they are of their own wounding, their own trauma, and how much they've processed and walked through it. And so if they've only been, let's say, overlooked or abandoned and you decide that since you've picked up on it, you are going to hang in there. You may actually find that they cling to you desperately and that they're not turning to Jesus and they're not getting what they need. And you intervening and trying to save them does more damage than good because you are not the almighty and they are not looking to him anymore. There have been some friendships way back in college for me where that was this very hypothetical, which is actually not a hypothetical uh, situation unfolded and, I felt like I should stay in and there were some people who counseled me like, no, you need to walk away and you are going to wound them in the same way they've been wounded. And yet that actually provides more of an opportunity for this person to seek healing. All you're doing is enabling in this case. Huge.
1: Ask God because he is rescuing the person. Ask him what, what you should do in relationship with the person. Okay. We're going to move on to another one because this podcast uh, threatens to drag because we have a lot of thoughts here. The next one is something that's tossed around the Ransom Tart world. If you've come through the podcast, engaged some of the books, some of the audio resources, you'll find that the heart is central and you'll find this statement that is, you will never treat another person's heart any better than you treat your own. And... To sort of unpack that, it's a relational skill to treat your own heart well. And just sort of in conversation, you know, what I want to toss to you, Sam, and then provide some examples is unpack that. What does it look like to treat your heart well? And then what's it, what's it mean that you're going to treat people the way you treat your own?
0: Yeah, Blaine, I think we're even making some assumptions there that there's probably some people that don't know the way they treat their own heart it's typically the closest people that will treat the same way that we treat ourselves. Um, we might be very good at treating kind of that like second and third tier and further out very politely and very kindly and very kind of uh, aloof, but our kids, our spouses, our girlfriend, or like whatever, that person will get how we treat ourselves. And so if you're if you're not aware of the way you treat yourself, That might actually be a really good place to begin to unpack. Are you really demanding? Are you really driven? Are you totally checked out? Are you unkind? Are you harsh? Like, Notice how you treat the people closest to you if you're not aware of how you treat yourself. If you are aware of how you treat yourself and your own heart, well, then you've come into a category of like, oh man, soul care, heart care, like this in itself is what a lot of humanity has been writing books about and doing creating camps and seminars. And like we're, we're desperate to find ways to take care of ourselves. I remember just asking God, like you say that you lead us beside still waters and green pastures and shade and renew our souls. Where is that for me? One of the ways that we can and that I have been treating and taking care of my own heart is noticing where you're putting, excessive demand on yourself and trying to like muscle through and to give yourself space and peace. And like, this is very particular because maybe if you're withdrawing, you need the opposite, but it's a really intimate and personal relationship with your heart and your, and it's walk with God as a, like a place where you meet him. And so knowing your story, knowing your past, knowing your wounding, knowing how you're treating your own heart, like these are massive data points that will inform ways that you do self-care.
1: Yeah, it's huge. I remember a couple years ago when I was I was starting to be really angry with people that needed prayer. So if someone in our church or a friend pulled me aside, my response to them would be, I would do it, but internally I was so hostile. And in dwelling in that, thinking about it, eventually Jesus points out, uh, Blaine, when was the last time that you actually asked for help? And I'm like, uh, never. I get my freaking act together. Oh my goodness! To hear how incredibly unkind and how outside of the story that we're living in that actually is. Right? if I felt like I was under like some spiritual attack, my thing would be muscle through it or or up your pain tolerance. Or people deal with worse, and therefore when people wouldn't just deal with it, I'd I would feel this kind of. Why can't you just go deal with this by yourself with God? That's what I do, and then making intentional choices to go. Man, I do feel super heavy today, right? I do feel like I'm living under this accusation today. That, and inviting someone in, and asking, and being being kind on purpose with my internal world by going, you you need, and here are people around you who are positioned to offer into that need. What game changer! Because then, you know, when people are asking for prayer, it's also how I treat myself. I think another example, it's super simple, but let's say, as was recently the case, it's Saturday and there's just very regular work to be done, but it's been a demanding week. And as I'm shifting into the, the very regular life stuff, we're talking cutting the grass, getting the kitchen back in order, making a Costco run. I just feel my heart going I just can't, I can't do this right now. Like the week was so long and it would be easy to go, listen, Hart, you're going to get a break and it's going to come tomorrow. We need to get through this. You know, we rule this kingdom. We're trying to grow as a king. Get your act together. And instead going, what do you need? And just turning to M, and going, why don't we stop right now? We'll grab lunch and then let's just go We'll go sit by Cheyenne Creek. That was actually the case last night. And going, I can actually, yes, I want to persevere. Yes, I want to be someone who's developing maturity. But making that law is very unhelpful. And it m- makes me sort of a tyrant over my own heart, which has a needs according to a different kind of rhythm.
0: So this category on its own just needs to be like written on a note card and put in front of you to sit with for a little while. You will only treat others as well as you treat yourself, especially those close to you, and you will treat others the way you treat yourself, especially those close to you like those are just some massive categories which I think can be so helpful when you relate to other people
1: number three Sam this one is really deep thank you and that's better hard to comprehend mm. and You definitely did not get it from Dan Allender. You made it up yourself. Yep. Actually, we didn't make up any of this, people, just in case you thought we did. You started using language around uh, invitations that had to do with choice and the specific phrases, I'm going to choose. I'm just going to make like the World Cup and kick over to you. Where did this come from and why is it helpful?
0: Yeah. So it was this language that was introduced to me that I think pulls away the passivity from your language, from my language, and the way that we might respond to other people. The example is someone invites you to like get a cup of coffee, and you have a choice to make. Is that what you need to be doing right now? Is, is your time actually better spent with your family because you haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with them? And so rather than responding to the person passively like you are some sort of driftwood in your own life and to say, oh, I like I can't. I've got this, this, and this. Not only does that convey that you really are not in charge of your own life, but also it leaves the person kind of out there in this ether world of, okay, well, so should I invite you again sometime or are you going to invite me next time? Instead, the language of really sometimes quite brutally honest can be super helpful. And and that's the choose. That's the thank you for the invitation. I'm not going to be able to do do that this afternoon or this weekend because I'm going to choose to spend time with my family Um, Because I haven't gotten to see them very much and they need and I need to be around them. I think I felt uncomfortable hearing it the first time because if someone responded to me that way, it would feel almost like a slap. And yet it falls into the same category of like the putting the boundaries around something like your free time can feel very unkind, but it's actually some of the most kind things you can do because if you're sort of always available and there are no boundaries, well, then the inverse is also true. You're, you're never really available because you're sort of floating around. But if you are available on set times, that means that person has your focus when you do say yes. That means your family has your focus and you're, like, you actually become a much safer person and a much more built up person because you have these very clear distinctions to be interacted with.
1: It's awesome because when you started doing this, it was actually so kind because it showed me and it showed the people that you are in relationship with the way that you make decisions. And it shows your friends the value system of your life. And it helps, you know, me understand where I am in that with you and with other people. And so when someone goes, hey, can you come be a part of X Thing? And you go, No, I'm going to choose some solitude time or no, I'm going to choose this other invitation, suddenly you actually begin to see what a person's life is about in a particular season. And it's so helpful to know where you are. This has sort of a flip side too, which is if we adopt this language of I'm actually making choices and it can actually help in a restorative element too where I would come back to people, sort of my close group of friends when a guy would, you know, decline an invitation in favor of something else and to be able to go, I see what you're choosing. And... This language of choice is on the table and we can actually have a conversation around why that is. Now, this isn't every relationship that you're able to sort of challenge the value system. But having it be in conversation and go, I think that your choice of play over life with God right now is not right. Or it looks like you're choosing work over actually some of the things you seem to be more called to right now. Can we have a conversation around that? It swings both ways. In the positive sense, it just... Helps me as a person in relationship with you, Sam, in this example, go, Oh, that's where Sam is moving right now, like towards his family or towards his writing or towards his life with God and biking. Like, I totally see that.
0: It's always noble things like that. It's, it's so incredible. incredible. It's never the flip side. Sit on the couch and stare at the wall. It also applies to relationships, right? Like, I think I've seen in some friendships the lack of clarity sitting there in limbo damage as, as both parties are maybe wanting something more or if it's just one party wanting something more imprecise language can be super damaging and so if it is like hearkening back to the podcast we did with Morgan and Alex like what are good friendships like and how do you cultivate them Morgan's challenge of like choose a few and you make their wars your wars when they go to battle you go to battle and that takes precise language that takes like a type of covenant where you're like hey i am committed to you in this season like i'm committed to this friendship and it falls here you know it falls below family and and my soul and my walk with god but that you're next babe babe baby baby I, I didn't like where that was going but you're next and that level of clarity and intentionality is also super helpful
1: Yeah, we're sort of lumping this one together with what we were going to name number four is an observation sort of across the ages of Christian community, life together, everything from Bonhoeffer to Henry Nouwen is people do great with boundaries. Boundary-less relationships feel exciting because we are designed for intimacy and it feels so incredible when you're able to go deep quickly with someone. Things very rarely produce good relational fruit. There's very rarely like an enduring, wonderful relationship that you just sort of drifted into and didn't make intentional choices about. It's actually more helpful to know who your rings of friends are and to give people cues to where they sit in your world. For example, we're invited to be a part of a Bible study, M&I, how many years ago? And it was just so helpful to have in, in a text thread... Emily, really kindly respond and go, actually, we're called into a different community right now. We won't be available for that. Wish you the best. Like, it would have been easy to go, oh, no thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Maybe some other time. But to very clearly go, nope, we really aren't available for that. And we're not going to be available for any of the next invitations you give us was way kinder. Uh, And it's hard to practice. Here's another practice, very simple application of this. There's sort of a core group of people in my life right now who have a lot of access to me, my time, family, play. And these people when they contact me, they can expect that I'll get back to them relatively quickly, usually very quickly, like at least the same day, hopefully, because there's this that's you're thinking of you're thinking of my wife who had who feels
0: called to do something different. Sometimes it's more effective to use smoke signals to contact you than modern technology.
1: I view this as uh, a quality. That you like pigeons. Are, They've never returned. Thank you, Sam, for you complimenting me. But there are people, you know, in sort of like the next ring where even if I have the bandwidth, I won't respond the same day simply because I don't want to tacitly tell them, you're in. And then when they need me to be in, I'm not. I And I've experienced it. So there are people in... At first, I've been really frustrated by it, and then sort of later, you know, where I'll text the person and won't hear back for like a couple of days, and then we'll be, hey, I'm available at this time. And part of me is like, hey, be a better relator. Just get back to me quick and say you're not available. But then as I'm able to sit with it, there's sort of this thing of, actually, that does help me set expectations for how to relate with you. And having those helps me not be disappointed the next time that I don't hear back from you. And we're not talking about dismissing people. We're not talking about ghosting. Uh, We're talking about uh, being intentional with the level of your heart that you give to people. Oh my goodness. It's so easy to convey to a person that you're in, we're walking together in this season when they aren't. And in the long term, that's not going to be helpful. There are some of you
0: who who the opposite also needs to be true. Often we, we tend to feel like we're I'm available all the time but then in moments of crisis we shy away because we don't know what to do and if that's the case go listen to the uh, responding to trauma podcast there are some people and our in Susie and my life particularly that are very good at setting the boundaries of I'm protecting my family and I am just not I'm not available most of the time I'm available sometimes but mostly I'm not available and I think I, I, if that's the choice I would say to those people honor that. And honor it the whole way because there's a couple I can think of who they're they're just not available and that's fine. But when crisis pops up in our life, they feel like they want to step in and help. Um, and Susie and I have this really strong reaction against that. Of it's like, ah, if you're not in the day to day, you don't get to be there for the crisis, and just that's okay. But if you want, if you're going to be there for the crisis, you also have like a commitment that sort of comes with that. And so, you know, if you're afraid of one or the other, I think just to be aware that there's an expectation that you communicate and there's a way of relating whether it's I don't have time and space for this, but I love you and I will see you when I see you or I'm in and your wars are my wars and like, let's also have Small ways of relating. All of that, it's, its you can't have one without the other, I don't think.
1: No, that's super, super helpful. Last one to keep this, you know, hopefully under the 40-minute mark today. This is put as an order. You want to grow in relationship? Relate unto transformation. Want to be transformed. And this is what I mean. Relationships you may or may not know uh, sort of hit rough patches, And relationships, because you have contrasting personalities, are wonderful opportunities for conflict. Relationship introduces conflict. A major skill is I can either want uh, to be right and to be justified, or I can want to be covered and want to be transformed. And we were talking about boundaries. It's really easy for me to want to fulfill what I think is appropriate in a relationship and to feel like I fulfilled it and to put my security in. You can't be frustrated with me. I X, Y, and Z. I got back to you in the in a fashion that was within our expectations. And you were invited to things that you should want to, you, you know, ought to, ought to be invited to. And, you know, a person can come back to me and go, you're still really dismissive. And if I want to be justified and right, all of a sudden, I have no holding place for this. It's just great. I'm trying really hard here. Thanks for crushing me with your expectations. All of a sudden, every relationship becomes basically failure, and I will retreat from relationship if that is what I'm experiencing is my inability to, in another person's eyes, do what's necessary. If you want transformation, you have this other skill, which is going, wow, thanks for bringing that to me. Like I am covered because of the cross of Jesus. He was perfect in my place. He did this relationship perfectly for He's me. He's our advocate. We don't need to be our own advocates. Yeah. And being able to go, yeah, I can acknowledge that. And this isn't everything. There are lots of things that we don't receive when we're navigating conflict. But being able to go, that's true. And that is a place where Jesus is working. And you can tell me more. And it is a game changer. Want to relate the transformation because every topic invites the question why and relationships sort of invites the why do we relate and that will tell us a little bit about how we should relate and why we relate is obviously because we're made in the image of a triune god we're built for intimacy and in this period in this particular sojourn in the anticipation of the coming of jesus we also we relate as allies we relate because we are rescued to relate and we're enjoying some of the coming kingdom now and we also relate as the context for our restoration and if you want to be restored you're going to find relationship super awesome
0: which is to say if you don't want to be restored they're going to be quite frustrated. you're just
1: going to retreat because we we will fall short of one another's expectations it was interesting i'm just going to show one of like padre's cards here we have the good heart here at ransomed heart and we have a theology and a worldview of no Once a person receives the covering of Jesus, turns, confesses Jesus as Lord, repents, renounces their sins, and embraces the kingdom, he goes, you know, I have set my heart within you. You have a good heart. And it would be easy to go, therefore, you're well-motivated all the time. And this will be difficult because when you still fall short relationally, the thing that impresses me about Padre is one of the just best, and, you know, here's I'm just going to expose how much I like my dad. But I'm like a person who relates super, super, super well, an incredible percentage of the time, his confidence is still not in. No, I relate well all the time. And watching him here at Ransom Tar, if someone feels like they were dismissed in the decision making process or if someone, you know, feels like something happened, how willing he is to receive like repentance is his way through and go, oh, you're right. Yep. I I hear that. I'm like, I'm sorry, that is not what I want to do, but I can acknowledge that that happened. And I want that place in my heart to be whole and well. And it just is like mind blowing to go, wow, you are really capable in relationship because your confidence is not in getting it right all the time. Your confidence is in being covered and being restored. Yeah. I think today's list of
0: things for relationships is in a helpful order of things that are relatively easy to begin thinking about and then things that come with maturity. And obviously, we don't enter into every relationship like some sort of mini-counseling of I think you're really going to just work the soil and create holiness. But it's part of it. And as you become more aware of your own heart, as you become more aware of your story and other stories around you, you do move towards this this final point of today's podcast that is like, you can either swim with the current that Jesus is up to of your own and the other person's move towards redemption and all of the soul work that happens therein, or you can fight that.
1: Mm-hmm. And how has that been working? <charac> <inaudible>